Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about spiritual food. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to say Happy New Year. I hope that you had a good time ringing in the new year, and I also hope that as you go into 2019, you're considering some ways that your life might get better this year. I really like the new year for being a time when we can start new things that will benefit us or restart some things that maybe we haven't done in a while that will help us grow. And as part of that, I really hope that you are considering what might grow you spiritually in the next year. And maybe as you consider that idea, listening to sermons will be a part of it. Maybe even listening to our sermons at Creekside will be a part of it. If that's true, then I would really encourage you to subscribe to our podcast, our sermon podcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you're anything like me, it's hard to remember to check in and see the latest episodes of podcasts unless you've hit the subscribe button and you're getting a notification that a new episode has gone live. And so I really hope that you'll that you'll subscribe. If you'll do that, it will help you remember to listen to them, but it'll also help others learn about our podcasts. Leaving a rating and review does that as well. And so if you have a minute, we'd love for you to leave a rating and review. Again, thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon. I hope that it'll help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. And I hope that all of my sermons this year will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. I liked high school, but it was a time when Although I was a Christian, I was pretty spiritually empty, and I think that that I was so spiritually empty uh, that I didn't even notice I was spiritually empty. Do you know what I mean? Like when when you've functioned in a certain state for so long, you don't really feel the pains of being in that state as much as you did at the beginning. You know, even if it's just like an injury, right? Like if you've been injured and you've had like that same thing forever and ever and it's never gotten worse, you just kind of learn to function with the injury. And over time, it's like, you're like, oh yeah, that thing hurts. And I think spiritual hunger, this thing that we started to talk about last week, uh, is very much like that. It's like the longer you've been spiritually hungry, you, you you've been hungry for something that isn't just emotional, it isn't just mental, it's, it's something deeper than that. You know it, you don't maybe know how to put it in words, but you feel it. The longer you've been in that state, kind of the less recognizable it becomes. And, and sadly, I think that far too many people in, in, our, in our country and even in our churches today are, are functioning uh, for long periods of time, deeply hungry for something something more, something more. And, uh, you know, if you feel like uh, this is just some things that I see and it seems like like these things are increasing in our world and I think they point to a spiritual hunger and maybe you can see them in you. Anxiety, uh, it's not even a word that we hardly use. I mean, we say like, oh, I worry every now and then when I was a kid and now anxiety is like a, a description for generations, it seems like. Like they're just anxious and stressed out and uh, it, it's rough and, and a lack of joy, which goes with that. Like you just, maybe you, and maybe you see this in our world. It, it doesn't matter, you know, how happy things become for you, how good things are. There's just a lack of internal joy, something that's not just a, you know, emotional quick moment, but something deeper than that, where you feel good, uh, despite what's going on around you. Um, 
You know, if you're giving in to sin, and, and for you who aren't Christians, like I would say it this way, if, if you find yourself doing things that you deem wrong yourself, and you can't figure out why you can't stop doing them, then, then you're spiritually hungry. If you're, this is one I see in myself, uh, and, and maybe it applies to other people. If you're easily angered, like the things that, that shouldn't make you angry, they make you more angry than normal. I see a ton of that now. I'm just amazed at how many people will cut me off and then be mad at me for getting in their way. Do you Have you noticed this trend on the streets? Like people are just mad even when they do something to you. I think I told this story in a sermon already, but a lady almost backed into me at Fred, in the Fred Meyer parking lot. And, uh, and then she drove around, took time out of her day to come and flip me off. It was like, wow, that's just crazy. Like you, first of all, you almost hit me. And second of all, why did you have time to come and flip me off? Um, if you don't feel for you Christians like living for Jesus, you might be living for Jesus, but you just don't feel like it. It's like, I, this is a burden. Jesus has become a burden instead of uh, something that's exciting for you, something that you get to be a part of, a person that you get to be in relationship with. And with that, like just the idea of serving God is, is not something that's a privilege anymore. Uh, maybe, maybe you feel some of these things, but I for sure see these things in our American culture and in our American Christian subculture. The churches are filled, it seems to me, with people that, that find Christianity to be a burden, that, uh, that lack joy, that give in to sin, that just struggle through everything. And it points, in my mind, to our spiritual hunger. Um, I would just say this, if you feel any of those things, then perhaps you are spiritually hungry. And today we're going to turn our attention. Last week we talked about how Jesus is the bread of life. And, and I said that, that you, you will not be spiritually satisfied. You will always have a longing, uh, a desire for something more. No matter what you accomplish, no matter how hard you work, no matter how much success you have, you'll always have a longing for something more deep inside of you until you embrace Jesus and you eat of the bread of life. That's what Jesus declared himself to be while he was walked on earth. Uh, many authors, I think it originated with C.S. Lewis, described this as like a, a God-sized hole in our hearts. And there's nothing else we can plug into it to feel fulfilled, to feel satisfied spiritually besides God. And and at the same time, I said that while coming to Jesus brings spiritual satisfaction, abiding in Jesus is what continues to help us have satisfaction. And this morning, we're going to look at one of the, I think maybe the key way that we, not the only way, but the key way that we that we abide in Jesus. And this is where we'll spend our time for the next several weeks focusing, and that is through the Word of God. And we're going to look at this passage that, that you've probably read before if you've been a part of church. And it is a passage that is so easy to skip over, but it's so important when we look deeper into it. But we must set it up. So in Matthew chapter 3, there's this crazy story. Jesus is baptized, and then he comes out of the water, dunked, comes out of the water. And as he's coming out of the water, the Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And a voice comes from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And then the next thing that happens in Matthew chapter 4 is, is quite the segue. It's just like so, uh, such a stark contrast. It, it says this in Matthew 4, 1 through 2. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 
Let's make clear that God does not tempt us. God does not try to get us to do things that he does not want us to do. But there are periods in our life when God will allow for us to be tempted more by Satan than perhaps he normally does. These are called tests in scripture. And there are times when we are able to prove that we truly love and want to live for Jesus. We don't like these times. These are difficult times. They are hard times. But at least we can know that Jesus faced one of these times, and it was a very difficult one, and it's right here in Matthew chapter 4. And, and what happens is Jesus goes out into this wilderness, this desert, perhaps, and I don't know if you'll care about this, but maybe you'll find it interesting, the same wilderness and desert that John the Baptist was preaching in uh, just prior to this. Jesus goes out there, and, and he fasts, means he's without food, for 40 days. And then like this funny, I think it's funny, I underlined it. The end of verse two, he was hungry. Like that needed to be included, right? I mean, obviously he was hungry after not eating for 40 days. That's quite clear. I'm hungry after not eating for 40 minutes. And so to go for 40 days is quite something. And Jesus is, is hungry. And I think it's not just a funny detail, but an important detail. Because, and maybe it's just me, but, but if you're like me, I think that physical hunger calls into question our spiritual hunger. And, and by that, I simply mean this one word that you know, probably, hangry. You know that term, like when you're hungry and you get angry at everybody. When we are hungry, at least when I am hungry, it is much more difficult to live in the way that I think God wants me to live. I'm, I'm shorter tempered with my wife and with my children. I I find it difficult to pray, frankly. I find it difficult to focus on God. I find it difficult, more difficult to be obedient to what God has called me to do, easier to fall into the temptation of sin. And, and so for whatever reason, I don't know why these two parallel each other, but it seems that when we are hungry, it is, it can lead to, it can show us our spiritual hunger because it causes us to fall into traps just much easier. I preached a, a couple of series that, that uh, or one series that, that really talked about this a lot. It was a series on gluttony. I did this, this is interesting if you've been around for this long. I did this uh, almost seven years ago now, and uh, I'm doing a series coming up. Our next sermon series will be on lust, not just of the sexual kind, so you can show up to church anyway, but lusts in general. And it's the last of a series I've done every year on the seven deadly sins. And the first one I ever did was on gluttony. In that series, I learned so much, and, and it's been one of the most important sermon series I've ever done for my own personal spiritual life. But one of the things that stood out to me, uh, some author, I don't remember who now, but he said, the story of the Old Testament is really a story of the Israelites' relationship to food. And, and you go, wow, that's crazy sounding. Like, I mean, obviously it's not about that. And it might be overstated. But if you look at the Old Testament, you see it very key moments where they reject God. It's connected, it's connected to food. I mean, think about the Garden of Eden, like that very first sin, very famous story, Adam and Eve. Eve is in the garden. She's looking at this tree. Satan shows up. It's like, hey, you should eat from it. And she's like, God told me not to. And he's like, yeah, God doesn't want you to be like him. And, and then this interesting thing is said. When she saw it, looked good for food, basically. Like when she saw it, looked tasty. It's like the first sin was even connected to 
to hunger and, and surrounded in hunger or at least the desire for food. And then the Israelites, you, you might know this story too, like they wandered in the desert for 40 years, which we see some parallels here in our story with Jesus, 40 days. But they wandered in the desert for 40 years and, and there's this incredible, terribly terrible story that was horrible English and all that but it was this terrible story of them building this golden calf after God has done so much for them and they start to worship this golden thing and we think like how could they have ever done that and what what we don't really think about is right before that the people had rejected what God had told them to do as far as food was concerned they were looking at God and saying you're not providing food for us in the way that we want you to provide food for us and so we're going to serve, worship this, this little thing made of gold. I say all that to say that I, I think physical hunger shows our spiritual hunger in many ways. And here is Jesus, as hungry as we can imagine being ever, uh, to the max of being able to survive, right? Like he's gone as far as you can survive without food. He's at the very end of hunger. And Satan's going to show up in this story. And what we're going to find, and it's so cool because Jesus was spiritually full. And we're going to see why, I think, in this story. He, he doesn't give in at all to the sin and, and the ways of Satan. He stands firm and he continues to serve God uh, right through his hunger. And it points to his spiritual fullness. In fact, this story in a lot of ways is here to show us that Jesus is the new Adam. And that Jesus is the greater Moses. That is to say that while Adam's sin brought death to all people because he chose to eat the fruit, Jesus' faithfulness to God brings life to all people. And while the Israelites wandered in the desert under the leadership of Moses and continually rejected and sinned against God, Jesus will be faithful to God and he will usher us into a new promised land. That's in large part what Matthew is doing in this story. And it's all possible... Because Jesus is spiritually full. And, and here's the first temptation, the only one that we'll look at today. There's three of them, but this is the one we'll look at in Matthew 4, 3. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now think about what's just happened. Baptism, right? Set that story up for us. Baptism. Jesus comes out of the water. God says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus goes out into the wilderness. And the first thing that Satan says to him is, if you're really the son of God, then do this. It seems like almost all of the temptations that we face in our life call into question whether we believe God or not. That is often how Satan chooses to tempt us. Are you really going to believe God in this? I mean, Satan preys upon our doubting of God. It's like this. He whispers in our ear, and you know this, if you, even if you don't, even if you're like a Christian forever and you, and you hardly ever doubt the existence of God or the truth of Christianity, you know you have these moments where there's that whisper in your ear, does God really love you? And I know there's an epidemic in the Christian culture uh, where, where we have given in to Satan's lie when he whispers into our ear, did God really say that? And so we just sin because it's like, I don't know if, it, if the word of God, the Bible really means that or if we should understand it that way. Did God really say that? 
Or, or can God really bring you peace even in the midst of this circumstance? Can you really find joy here? I know God said it, but can God really? Is God powerful enough? So many people seem to struggle with this, especially early in their Christian faith. Will you really be in heaven someday? Is that one sin too big, too much for Jesus to really have forgiven? Is God really more powerful than those who want to hurt you? And is God really worth serving? Is it really worth it? Is all this worth it? I know, I know that we all hear those things. We all think of those things. We all have those things pop into our heads at the most inopportune times. And it's because Satan and his demons, they are constantly preying upon our doubts. Satan wants us to not believe God. And here we see it so clearly in the life of Jesus as as Satan tries to thwart the work of Jesus, a work that would save all of us who have been saved through his blood and resurrection. He tries to thwart it by, by looking at Jesus and saying, I know what God said, but is it really true? You see, this temptation is not a, a temptation of turning stones into bread. There's nothing inherently sinful about turning stones into bread. In a story, in two stories in Jesus' life, he's going to use just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish to feed thousands of people, thousands upon thousands of people. And so this is not a temptation about like, is it wrong or right to turn stones into bread? You, if you can pray and get that done, you have every right to turn stones into bread. This is a temptation that calls Jesus first to be disobedient to God, Jesus knows that this isn't God's will for him. This isn't what God wants for him. He's out there to be tempted by Satan. He's out there to begin his ministry and to turn the stones into bread, although it's not inherently sinful, would be sinful because it would be against the will of God for his life. This was a temptation to use his sonship in a way that was, I quote somebody else here, inconsistent with his God-ordained mission. Jesus did not come to serve himself, he declares that. He came to seek and serve the lost. And for him to run around using his power as God's son to make bread out of stones or gold out of bricks would have been the wrong thing to do because it was off mission. It's not what God had called him to. And it was a temptation to doubt what God had said about him, just like in the Garden of Eden. Interestingly, this is the same temptation that Jesus faces as he hangs on the cross. Jesus is up on this cross, and and what we believe as Christians is that he's nailed there in order to pay the price of hell for us. All of our sins, he was bearing the weight of them as he hung on the cross. And, and, And to me, always the most emotionally impactful part of the story is one that he did it for me along with you but that he did it for me but the other part that emotionally connects with me because because I don't know what that physical pain was like I don't know what it's like to be scourged or uh, I frankly don't know what it's like to be hit in the head very much anyway I've taken a couple shots to the brain more than I would like to 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 admit through sports but I haven't been punched over and over in the head I don't know what it's like to be whipped I don't know what it's like to have a crown of thorns placed in my head I don't know what it's like to face that physical torment, but I do know what it's like for people to be mean to me and to hurt me emotionally. And when Jesus is hanging on that cross, these people are mocking him. And one of the things they say to him is this in Matthew 27, 40, come down from the cross if you are the son of God. It's the same temptation. I mean, we we know it says this. Jesus could have called down a legion of angels and gotten himself off that cross and we would have all gone to hell. But Jesus stayed on mission 
But doing so required him to continue to believe what God had declared at the very beginning of his ministry. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Spiritual hunger will make us doubt what God has said about us. What God has declared about us. What God has declared us to be. What God has, has asked us to do. But, but spiritual fullness will cause us to remember what God has said. What God has said about us and for us. Even when Satan comes and tries to tempt us to do differently. And that's what we see in Jesus here. And, and here's what he says. I mean, yeah, Jesus is, is spiritually fulfilled. He's the son of God. It's, he's, a, he's a big like target to aim for, right? But, but he gives us this glimpse of, of why. Why he was able to withstand this temptation. And, and here's what he says in Matthew 4, 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The life application commentary on this verse says, even though the present circumstance, he is hungry and hurting for 40 days of fasting, seemed to contradict the voice declaring his status as the son of God, whom the father truly loves. Jesus maintains that, notice this part, the essence of life is trusting God's word. He does not need to turn the stones into bread in order to confirm his identity or to supply his needs. Now, part of this, part of understanding that the essence of life is trusting God's word is simply understanding that it is God who sustains our lives. We are under the false idea, I think because we live in such a land of plenty, we go to the grocery store, we can buy things, we can be picky about the things we eat. Uh, our children, and, and I just, this is one of those things as a parent you notice and you don't really notice in yourself, although it's just as true as me, how readily um, and quickly my kids will say, well, I don't like that because they have so much food and, and, and no wants as far as food are concerned uh, that cannot be met, that, that they just dismiss food like it's no big deal. And so we live in a time and in a place where, where we can just get food so easily that I think we of all people have forgotten that it is not the food that keeps us alive. It is God who keeps us alive. God uses food for our sustenance, but it is God who sustains us. And we have that backwards, I think. We, we say, food keeps me alive, and then I kind of pray to God to sustain me. But, but we must remember that it is God who gave us life. It is God who gives us life. And it is God who will give us life if we will place our faith in, in Jesus. And so part of this is Jesus just saying, hey, God will keep me alive. God will keep me alive if God wants me to be alive. I don't need to do this thing that is sinful in order to have life. But the other part is more, more, more pertinent for, for our topic at hand, and that is that Jesus is talking about something very spiritual here. He quotes directly from Deuteronomy 8.3. And Deuteronomy 8.3 says, he humbled you, talking about God, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which either you, excuse me, neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, this is what he's quoted, but the context of Deuteronomy 8.3 is really interesting. And I think it changes how we ought to view Jesus' response to Satan. Deuteronomy 8.1 and 2, pay close attention, says this. 
Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. The commands of God are certainly part of every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so while Jesus in the, in a mo, in the most literal sense is talking about God being the sustainer of our lives, in a spiritual sense, he is talking about the word of God in, in as far as we, we think of the Bible, the things that God has declared about us and to us. W. Robert Nicole, a pastor and author that wrote you know, almost a hundred years ago says this, and it's so important. This implies that the mere possession of material sustenance is not enough for an even earthly life. Impalpable spiritual elements must be mingled with bread if life is not to decay. In the temptation narrative, the same deeper meaning is surely implied. The implication is that the life of the Son of God found sustenance in the spiritual strength derived from his Father. In other words, the passage is really parallel to John 4.31. And here's what John 4.31 says, because this this is really important if it parallels it. This is a story about Jesus. Jesus has just had this incredible godly encounter with a, a woman that we call the woman at the well. He has told her about who he is, that he is the Messiah, that he is the one that can bring spiritual satisfaction. And he's sitting there with this woman. And then, and then she leaves, goes back to town, goes and tells everybody, I found the savior of the world. The disciples show up from going off to buy food. And, and this is what we read. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? This is so key to all of our lives. My food, Jesus Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus is like, look, the most important food to me is the will of God. I want to know and do the will and the work of God. That's what brings life to me. It's not what gives him physical life, obviously, but that is what was bringing him the more important life, the life that he longed for, the spiritual fullness and sustenance that he needed was found in in knowing, understanding, and doing the will and the work of God. And what it says to us, what is so clear as we read Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 4, and, and, and Jesus' words and Matthew 4 and then his words in John 4 is that what bread is to the body, God's word is to the spirit. I wrote, unless you're gluten-free, which is only halfway funny. But um, what bread is to the body, God's word is to the spirit. Jesus is the bread of life and coming to him is where we find our, our spiritual fullness. But to continue to be spiritually full, we must know the will and the work for, from God for our, for our lives. We cannot be spiritually full apart from the word of God. Now look, there's other things that are part of being as spiritually full and as satisfied as we want to be. We need the presence of God. 
Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 5 will call people to hunger and thirst for righteousness, uh, a right relationship with God, living out the things God has called us to do. But let me just be so clear. In the word of God, the Bible, we find a connection to both the presence of God and the righteousness that God offers. Because in the Bible, we have the words of the one who, whose presence we want and, and whom we are trying to be obedient to. And, and Jesus looks at Satan and says, look, you, you want to tear me down. You want to try to get me to give in for this physical food. But I want you to understand that I don't live just on physical sustenance. I live on the word of God because it fills my soul. Fills my soul. What bread is to the body, the word of God is to the spirit. And it's important here to just pause and say, we need to have an understanding of, of why the Bible is that. And, and what we believe is the Bible is, and we say this a lot, is the word of God. But what do we really mean by the Bible being the word of God? It's just something that Christians say, right? And it's like one of those things that can end an argument with our atheist friends if we have them. It's like, oh, well, you think one thing, but God said in the Bible. And the reason that we call the Bible the word of God is, is because that's the claim that the Bible makes for itself, frankly. There's great outside evidence that I, that I wholeheartedly uh, would encourage you to look into, look at why the Bible uh, is believed to be the inspired word of God. But, but for this morning's purposes, I just want to look at a couple of the things that the Bible says about itself because it shows us what it is and why it's important for us to be able to have the word of God. Second Timothy three sixteen and 7, all scripture is God breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That sounds a lot like being spiritually filled, right? And then in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture ever came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along. By the Holy Spirit. What we believe about the Bible is that God inspired in, in a unique way that's, that's not true of any other book. He inspired and breathed into being his words through human authors. So when we talk about the Bible, we're not talking about God literally coming down and just, you know, here, I'm going to write exact word for word. This is God saying, I want you to put this down. And what I love about, one of the things I love about the Bible, and if you've been around and heard me preach, you, you know this about me. I love how the author's personalities, and it seems like their own passions come out. But in all of it, we see the words that God wanted us to have, inspired and infallible for us to take in so that we may have life so that our souls might be filled. What Jesus is saying is so profound and important. And if we live it out, I think we would, we would find an end to our spiritual emptiness. He's saying, I desire spiritual food, the word of God, more than I desire physical food, bread. Now, let's be so clear, because maybe you're a person that you, you're, you're jaded towards the Bible, and there's a lot of people. The Bible has been used 
used uh, incorrectly and cruelly throughout history. I mean, it's been used in the wrong way uh, far too often. And in this this one story that we're looking at this morning, we see it, right? Satan shows up and he uses scripture to say, hey, do this, do this. Look what God has said. But Jesus then comes around and rightly uses scripture in order to push back against Satan. And I want to be clear that, that not everything that people preach or write or, or propagate is the word of God. I can say things from this stage on a Sunday that, that I hope I'm right every week. I try to be right every week. But this is not the word of God unless I'm reading the word of God. The Bible has been used in, in terrible ways throughout history. And we should be so clear about that. But that does not change what the Bible is. Just because people use the Bible wrongly, it does not mean that the Bible is not good. I thought of this really ridiculous illustration. I've already told you my really bad joke. And, and so now I'll give you the ridiculous illustration. But on my honeymoon, uh, I, I don't even know why this popped into my head. But we went to Key West, Florida. And uh, I've never been to Key West. It's awesome. I loved it. Uh, but uh, it's a weird place. And, and one of the unique things about them is that every year they celebrate an Independence Day. And I think the taxi driver or something told us this as we were coming from the airport to our bed and breakfast and and we're like what's the deal you know what's happening and and apparently at some date in american history uh the united states government decided that they wanted to put uh toll booths along the big highway that runs through the florida keys and key west was having none of it and so they wrote a letter to the United States government and said, we are choosing to secede from the union. And, um, and then uh, what they did, and you can't make this stuff up. I'm sure they were drunk, but you can't make this stuff up. Uh, they only had one government building in the, uh, in the city. And so they took food, especially bread, and they started throwing it at the post office uh, there in, in Key West, Florida. And, as, as history would have it, uh, the next day after they had this barrage of bread upon the post office, not for any reason that was connected to Key West protest or their cessation from the union, but, but for whatever reason, the government powers decided not to have this, this, this toll booth. And so every year, the, the people of Key West celebrate their one day of independence and how they were able to win their own personal revolutionary war against uh, the U.S. government. And they do that by getting on boats and throwing food at each other. The Coast Guard actually shows up and they have a giant food fight over the water, which sounds like an incredible amount of fun. And I, I only tell that story because it's what I envisioned when I envisioned Satan grabbing the very life-giving thing that we have for our spirits, the word of God, and trying to throw it at people. And we do it as Christians sometimes. We just throw it at people and we're jerks about it. We try to hit people over the top of the head with our, with our bread and say, hey, how dare you? And you're jerks. And we just use it wrong. But my fear is, and reality is, that a lot of people reject the word of God, the Bible, as the bread that can sustain their souls because people have used it wrong. But it's important that you make the distinction 
between what it is and how it's been used. Bread is not made in order to throw it at the Coast Guard. And the word of God was not given that it could be used as a weapon. And even though it's sometimes used in that way, we must still look at it and say, this is where I find life. And that's exactly what Jesus does in this passage. Satan is throwing the bread at him. And he's going, I've, I've eaten too much of it to give in to what you're asking me to do. Now, I, I said this earlier, but, but it's so important. I think it's so important because uh, we, we look at Jesus and he's a really lofty figure. He's a really bad example. Uh, it, it is often like, like looking at a fifth grader or whatever and, and saying, showing him a video of Michael Jordan and saying, this is how you play basketball. And it's like, (laughs) how are they ever going to attain that? How are they going to shoot for that? And Jesus is a little like that, right? Like, hey, Jesus desired spiritual food more than physical food. Go. You know, that's difficult. But there's this other story that basically tells us the same thing. And it's the story of a man named Job. And the life of Job is probably outside of Jesus and maybe the Apostle Paul, uh, the most difficult life in the, in the story of Scripture as far as what he dealt with, what he had to go through, uh, the things that God allowed him to face. Job was a righteous man. He lived for God. He did his best to serve God. And, and then God allowed for him to face the most incredible tests. Uh, his children died. He lost everything he owned. And he ended up with uh, sores, open wounds all over his body. Uh, At one point in the story, he is scraping himself with clay pots and uh, broken shards of clay pots. And his wife shows up and and says, hey, why don't you just curse God and die? And then his friends show up and they start to argue with him and say, you must ascend. You must have done something wrong. In fact, they do the very thing we're talking about here. They start to use... The, the word of God, or at least what they believe to be the word of God, uh, against Job and not for Job. And in the middle uh, of it all, this whole book, Job says this thing that, that I think answers in large part how he was able to stay spiritually full in the midst of, of trials that are beyond what I can possibly imagine. In Job twenty three twelve, he says, I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. I wanted God's word more than I wanted food. I wanted God's word more than I wanted food. David says similar things in the Psalms. I long for the word of God more than I long for honey, even honey of the comb, even the sweetest thing that I can imagine to taste. I long to hear from God, to know God more. If you've never read Psalm 119, it's very long. Uh, You should give it a read because it's all about this insatiable desire that David has for the word of God in his life. He wants it more than anything. And David lived such a spiritually full life. Not a life without sin, but a life that was full even when circumstances were bad. We need the word of God if we are going to be filled in our souls. John MacArthur says, circumventing God's will to provide for a physical need is unfaithful and also based on, the, notice this, the false assumption that our physical well-being is, more, is a more crucial need without which we cannot exist. The more crucial need in our lives is, is the word of God. 
The more we need the word of God more than we need bread. Thankfully, in our great country, we can have both. We can have physical food and we can have the word of God. And we're going to talk about how plentiful it is for us next week. But we can have both. But if it was ever a choice, if we want to be spiritually full people, we should be people that say, I would choose the word of God over the piece of bread. This is, there's a story that illustrates this dichotomy, this choice really well. And, and I think it, it shows us how we make this choice in our own personal lives. Because a lot of times, we're, you know this, right? It's a new year, maybe, and I hope you've, you've said, like, I want to read the Bible more this year. This is why we're doing this series here, to give you not just like a, you should read the Bible more, but to help you want to read the Bible more in this next coming year. But, but what will happen inevitably is that you'll get too busy, things will take precedent, and, and you'll end up, falling back into the normal patterns. And there's this story that shows us this, these two choices. Do I do more or do I, do I take in more spiritual sub, sustenance? Substance. That's a good word. Uh, Luke 10, 41 and 42, Jesus has showed up and, and there's these two sisters, Mary and Martha. And, and one of them is like, I have to get to work. There's preparations to be made. And the other one is like, I need to hear from Jesus. I need the word of God. And this is what we read as Jesus approaches Martha. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. That's humbling, because we get so busy, we get so focused on, on everything else and Jesus is like, hey, there's only one thing that matters. My word, you need to be with me. You need to hear from me. You need to communicate with me. If you want spiritual life, not just salvation, spiritual life, abundant life, a fulfilled life, a fruitful life, then you need to be a person that's taking in the word of God, a person that is reading the Bible. There's only one thing that's needed. And it's not, your, it's not your food, it's not your money, it's not the things that you put above the word of God, it is the word of God. Man, I'm telling you, I, I want to read it again. If you're anxious or lacking joy or giving in a sin or easily angered or don't feel like living for Jesus or you feel like serving God has become a big privilege, they point to a spiritual hunger. And I said this last week, if I was a betting man, then I would bet that your Reading of the Bible is very limited. It's just my guess. You might squeeze five minutes in in the morning. You might do 10 minutes. You might even do the devotional that we do together as a church. If you want to sign up for that, talk to Michael, who's leading music today. Uh, and, and I'm telling you, like, like if, you, if you are spiritually hungry, I'm just, I've just been a Christian too long. It's not always true, but it's almost always true you're probably not reading the Bible consistently and you're probably not reading the Bible for any amount of time that is significant. And it suggests that you've chosen the physical things over the spiritual things and it's going to leave you empty and hungry and wondering why it's so hard to live for Jesus and why you don't find satisfaction when you show up at church and, and why you're not producing any fruit and why you're continuing to give into those sins and why you're struggling so bad. Now, I could be wrong and there could be other circumstances and there's different seasons where things are just hard. I get all that. 
But I'll tell you, if you said, if you just said this, and this is, this, I'm going to overshoot here, just so you know. But like, I'm going to, I'm going to overshoot. Maybe you'll go close to this. If you said every day, I'm going to spend two hours looking at the Word of God and trying to ingest it and figure out how to apply it to my life. If you did that every day this year, I guarantee that by next year, when we showed up at the new year, you'd think, man, I'm far more spiritually full than I was a year ago. Jesus, in this passage, looks at us and he says, what bread is to the body, the Bible is to our souls. And frankly, just as not eating bread or any other food for a long period of time will leave you weak and a skeleton of yourself, the same will happen in your spiritual life if you're not taking in the word of God. I need to make one more note. I still have time. And that is sometimes we mask this spiritual hunger. And, and we mask it by, by taking in things that, that are not the word of God. And um, I, I see this in myself. Like when life is hard or stressful, I have a tendency to just want to look at my phone or put on a movie. Do you know that feeling? Like I'll just go find the movie. And, and what's happening in our world today, and, and this is, as I said last week, is a scary thought. But, but our world is trying to, to offer you spiritual fulfillment because you aren't taking it in. From the Bible. Our country is not taking it in in the place that it used to take it in from, the Word of God, the Bible. And so, like I said last week, so many things have become spiritual now. Like our movies are spiritual, right? There's always a spiritual slant. And, and it seems like books and, and the topics in books that are not Christian books, just, you know, normal Harry Potter-like books are, are becoming more spiritual in nature. And I think it's because people that sell us stuff are seeing that we are spiritually hungry and we're longing for something. And the sad reality is I brought this fake bread, um, and I probably didn't need to, but we're going to do it anyway. This is Hazel's. Uh, it's just like wooden characters of, of the real thing. Like they throw in this, these spiritual slants into shows like Lost and, and Harry Potter and other things so that, I don't know, it, at least it makes us, I don't know if it's intentional, but it makes us feel like if we come to that, we'll feel, we'll find some level of spiritual satisfaction. And then they, and forgive me if you have to help me clean up later, they pour sugar on top of it. So it tastes good. Frankly, on a different note, a lot of pastors are preaching sermons this week that are just sugar altogether without any of the word of God. And it's leaving our, our Christians spiritually starving. And if I see any epidemic in the American church culture is that we're going to things, like I said last week, that are not bread. And all we're getting is sugar and saying, oh, it kind of helps for a little bit. Or showing up in places that are supposed to be Christian-like and point you to the true bread. And all we're getting is sugar because people are afraid to offend us. And it's leaving us absolutely starving. And so, look, I'm never going to tell you, I'll never tell people you should read the Bible more. Because when we understand what the Bible is, our spiritual food, we don't need to be told to read it more. We, oops, sorry, Drew. Um, we just want to read it more. And, and maybe if we will begin to recognize the spiritual hunger in ourselves and we will begin to take in the word of God, then, then we could say like Jeremiah in Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, when your words came to me, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight for I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. Let me pray that that will happen. Lord Jesus, I just 
I thank you that you gave us this incredible book that we call the Bible. I mean, it's, it is, it is, uh, it's stunning that not only did you want a relationship with us, not only did you sacrifice on our behalf, not only did you set up this incredible thing called church so that we could find the relationships that we need and so that we could enter into your presence, God, in a unique and powerful way every Sunday, not only that, but then you, through the power of your spirit, gave us your word. And, and as has been pointed out to me by somebody in this church before, not only did you give us your word, but then you sustained that word through the centuries in order that we may have it in front of us, even on our iPads and phones, God. What an incredible gift that you cared about our souls so much that you left us this food that, that, will, that will abide, that will remain until the end of the age, God. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn to see it rightly as the the very thing that gives us the spiritual satisfaction and fullness that we need. And God, out of that, I, I ask that we would be people of your word, Lord. I pray that we would be people that not just feel like we should, but want to, God, take in your word every day. And, and, and God, we won't have to pick between food and and your word but i pray when we have to pick between tv and your word we choose your word and we have to pick between music and your word we would pick your word and we have to choose between getting the next task done at home in your word we would pick your word and and god when we have to pick between the next social media post in your word we would pick your word and god let us pick your word let us value it more than anything we can touch or see or smell or feel god because we know that it is the source of spiritual life. I ask these things in Jesus' name.